We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have Jennifer Abrams on the program today. If you don't know about her, you definitely should. She is formerly a high school English teacher and a new teacher coach in Palo Alto Unified School District. And she is currently a communications consultant and author who works with educators and others on new teacher and employee support, being generationally savvy, effective collaboration skills, having hard conversations, and creating identity-safe workplaces. Jennifer's publications include Having Hard Conversations, Multi-Generational Workplace, Communicate, Collaborate, and Create Community, Hard Conversations Unpacked, The Who's, Wins, and What Ifs, and Swimming in the Deep End, Four Foundational Skills for Leading Successful School Initiatives. Her upcoming book on Being Our Best Selves will be out in 2021, should probably be out by the time this is released, and that book is called Growing Up in the Workplace being on your learning edge. So Jennifer also does keynote speaking. You can learn more at her website at jenniferabrams.com and on Twitter at Jennifer Abrams. So Jennifer, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle today. 
a delight to talk to you again, Jethro. It is always a pleasure talking to you. You always expand and challenge my thinking. So I am excited for our conversation. You've written so many other books and you mentioned that you write books so that you can learn something. So can you tell me what that means? Because that seems like a different approach than most, most authors take. Yeah. Oh, I'm not everybody, Jethro. Um, I wrote my first book, Having Hard Conversations, because there wasn't a book out there to help me find my voice around what matters, at least in education, in the way that people had done it. In education, when you have a hard conversation, people usually say dealing with difficult employees, or they say dealing having a difficult parent conversation. That's usually what happens in education. There's lots about it in corporate, but there wasn't anything about how do you find your voice in a team? People didn't talk about conflict or saying something as a coach to somebody else. It just wasn't because we're nurturers and we should collaborate And I was like, but what if I see something that's educationally unsound or physically unsafe or emotionally damaging? And they're like, well, you're a coach. You really shouldn't be talking about that. I'm like, well, no, that's actually not true. I'm an adult who really has the best interest of students at heart, regardless of a role at this point. I understand my role is an evaluator, but what am I supposed to say if I see something? And people were like, eh, you know, like you, you're not sure. So I was like, oh, I have to write myself my own book. So I literally wrote myself a book and I continue to find something intriguing that I haven't seen really framed in a way that I could understand it in education. I wrote the multi-generational book because I was noticing that we were shifting in terms of um, just sort of who was retiring. And there had been one book ahead of this in education. And I read that and I was like, there's got to be more. And so that's why I write books. And so this next book is literally like me wondering how could we focus on adult development as much as student development? And so how might that work? So I'm writing a book about it. That's good. So I learned something. In fact, he was on the podcast a few episodes ago, Ryan Gottfriedson, who talked about how in children, there are five major developmental stages. And in adults, there are three. And the difference is, is that the kids' developmental stages happen as they are, you know, just growing up and they're associated with our age. And, you know, when you hit puberty, then you're going to have these changes in your mind and in your body and you're going to, you're going to change as an adult. However, that those don't happen because when you hit 50, you may have some things change in your body, but that doesn't mean that your brain is changing and you have to actually work on it a lot more as an adult. Yes. I I have a cognitive crush on Robert Keegan who wrote In Over Our Heads and The Evolving Self and How the Way We Talk and Change the Way We Work. And I could go on and on and on. Immunity to Change in Everyone Culture. He is uh, an adult developmental uh, researcher and professor. And um, it made sense to me that I knew I was stretching myself, but I didn't have words to make sense of pushing out of a way of looking at the world and what he would say make meaning and how hard it was to do that and the grief and the sadness and yet I was striving and he made 
it makes sense that we're basically said, no, this is this way of making meaning and you have moved to this way. And yet that's not the end. There's more. And it was like, wow, to me, I found that fascinating. In education, Ellie Drago Severson, a dear colleague who's at Columbia, has done much work with her colleagues from Columbia on framing adult developmental theory in an educational frame. And I'm just looking at it from from a different angle. And I don't have a PhD from Harvard with Robert Key. I'm just honoring it. I just find it fascinating. And the question is, when you said, we've got a stretch, you don't just become 50 and then have this sense of meaning. What does that look like and sound like? And maybe when your sense of meaning doesn't fit what you need, what does that look like? And and what if the world is getting more complex? And, and so it's really cool. It's just cool work. Well, the world certainly is getting more complex in many different ways. And so it's not enough for us to just say the things that I've done my whole life are going to work going forward. We need to adapt with the times, but that's really difficult when you're an adult and you don't have the same impetus to change as you do when you're a kid. How do we help ourselves develop appropriately and as we should, instead of just letting the world happen to us? I would venture to guess that we're both sort of seekers and want to improve ourselves in in stretch and stretch and all of your listeners would as well. And if your way of meaning making suits where you're at, there is no reason to move forward. And it is perfectly okay to be in your life as you are. I'm not judging and saying everyone needs to da 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 da. And just like you said, the world is getting more complex. And as a responsible educator, who wants to provide a container and an experience and an environment for kids that that is able to honor that complexity, I think we need to stretch ourselves. And so that might mean, and in this new book that I'm writing, it's about growing up in the workplace. And my one of my editors was like, that's very condescending. Don't you think we're already grown up? And that might be uh, patronizing and it wouldn't sell. And I'm not suggesting that we're not adult. I'm not suggesting that we haven't achieved over the age of 18. We're growing. We're aspiring. We're developing. That's what I mean about growing up. And it might just mean growing. We're just growing. But to me, it's also we're not just getting older and getting grayer. We're really, I'm trying to ask us to elevate ourselves. And if that is something that is of interest, I think there is a actually a very strong case to be made based on the environments and all the other stuff. But if you are interested in growing up, we got to know our identities and the parts of our identity where we might see bias or limitation how our upbringing affects how we see work. We need to suspend our certainty a lot more. Our way is not always the right way. How do we sit with discomfort and hear other people's approaches? I think that's something we're trying to to teach our, our students. We've got to take more responsibility, not just for our work product, but for how we speak and for our own development. 
We've got to be able to engage with reciprocity or engage in reciprocity, which means I see you as equal to me. I see you to be honored as with mutual respect, and therefore I will act as a group member or as a part of a, a much more interconnected situation with a more honoring your dignity. And I think we need to build our own resiliency. Resiliency is every, you know, self-care, build resiliency, but also to recognize how to deal with not just disappointment, but ambiguity which we've been dealing with for the last 10 months, deal with sort of our own emotional and psychological hygiene. Because we're oozing our anxiety onto other people. And I'm not saying that systems shouldn't also be supportive. I also know that we need to also meet halfway and take care of ourselves. So that's what I mean by growing up. And I don't know how to do that, which is why I'm writing a book about it. Like all of this is bigger than me. I'm not like, oh, I've got an A plus in it. So therefore I can thus teach it. It's like, I want to kind of hang with people who are interested in studying it and growing in it. So that's why I write. Yeah, well, that that's very good. A couple of things on that. Ryan Gottfriedson, as I mentioned, he talks about this is uh, vertical mm-hmm. development, which is exactly what you're talking about growing up. People can't see the hand motions you're making when you because this is just audio, but there are hand motions there that that illustrate a vertical development, as Ryan talked about. And he talked about how most of our uh, leadership training or adult development training is about horizontal development. He equated it to adding another app to an iPad, for example, and vertical development is upgrading the operating system and elevating yourself. As soon as we started talking, I said, we've got to introduce you to because you, you both totally get it. And and what's so important about that is that when you think about upgrading your operating system and elevating yourself, you think about things differently than just adding more skills to your plate. Because when you are able to upgrade yourself and think better about things, then you can deal with all these other things that you mentioned, which, you know, I want to go through just a couple of those, not everything, but I think one thing that I've been uh, personally struggling with, and I do this podcast because I want to learn more. And that's, <laughs> so I totally get that point. I'm thinking about how my own particular upbringing has affected how I perceive work and how I perceive money and all those kinds of things. And as you know, I recently left ed- education to do consulting full-time. And there's so many things that I didn't realize that I thought about money that are now different because I don't have a steady paycheck coming in and it's, it's different. I'm relying on speaking engagements and podcast sponsorships and things like that. And so it, it changes how things, how you operate. What's some of your advice about how to reconcile our upbringing and how that affects what we do now? I know, for example, that I grew up in the Midwest. I uh, grew up in Minnesota. I'm white. I'm heterosexual. I'm straight. I'm upper middle class. I'm just sort of thinking about sort of depends. I mean, like if I'm in Palo Alto, California, so that's a whole other conversation. But as a teacher, right, all of that shows up and I'm a, a teacher in Palo Alto Unified and we're starting to do race work. We're starting to do work on the academic achievement 
and making that hopefully much more equal across race and class and ethnicity. So I'm in this session where we're discussing it, and I'm like, but Edmundo, I'm a Democrat. But in Mundo, I'm a teacher. But in Mundo, I'm I've got gay friends. And he looked at me and he said, Jennifer, did you wake up white this morning? Because you're also white. And that that affords you privilege. And there are limitations to what you're seeing because you walk in the world as that race. And and it was like, oh, well, that's that okay. And that led my development and continuously my development. It's it's the idea that I don't I didn't even know what I didn't know. I thought that a couple other parts of my world and my, my how I identify, I was unconscious. And I'm completely aware that I'm still unconscious. I'm taking a class right now called Lead Inclusively, which is with a group uh, of adult development folks in growthedgecoaching.com. And I am trying to figure out how to develop myself to lead inclusively. I believe I want to, and I hope readers of my book do, and people who are listening to this want to stretch themselves. And if you're going to upgrade, you got to know what you don't see. And that's what I mean by sort of knowing your identity is also what do you not know? What did you think was important? It's a constant work in progress for me. And that's just one piece. And then let's think about all of the work, the work style things, your Myers-Briggs, your, you know, your this, your that, your saboteurs. Your, I can tell you, I think I'm a four on the Enneagram and a Pisces with Aries rising and a and a this and a that, and I'm, you know, and I think I'm an orange or something in colors, that stuff actually does, when I bump up against other people in the workplace, there are different irritations. And I know that about myself now. Now the question is, what do you do about it? So then there's that developmental journey of suspend your certainty that just your way, now that you know, is the right way. I'm a work in progress. Yeah. So let's talk about those personality styles and different things that that you can do. What I think is so valuable about those is that it gives you a framework to talk objectively about why we're having conflict. And the one that I really like using is the DISC personality profile, which is based a lot in in communication and conflict. And if everybody's getting along well and everybody's having a great time, then there's no problems and that's all well and good. But as soon as there's some sort of conflict, then it's like all these barriers come up and and the walls go up and it's really hard to overcome things. And so what I love about using those kinds of systems, I don't care which one you use, but using something that gives you an opportunity to talk objectively about it, I have found is a huge success and it helps you be able to talk through it so that you don't continue butting heads. John Cat Educational supports high quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books used by educators 
of all roles across North America and worldwide amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations. If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people, but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their their own personal identity, replicated over and over and over and over, my research is already flawed ethically. Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help. What I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time um, and across space in the United States. Um, basically, I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers. And we give them handbooks to say, hey, this is what you should be doing. What I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? To what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at cybertraps.com slash seven. In this podcast, Jennifer Abrams and I are talking about how to work better with others. I want to invite you to check out the mastermind. The Transformative Mastermind is the best professional development out there for principals. Jennifer talks about the need to engage with reciprocity and build our own resilience. This is exactly what we do in the Mastermind. Go to jethrojones.com mastermind and click schedule a call to chat with me about it. I look forward to hearing from you. Right. It externalizes. When you say it gives you a frame, it externalizes. It It isn't their dumb, wrong, totally difficult to work with. It is if you do the compass, you know, they're just a West and I'm a North and, or they're a South, which is worse, or they're a, a perceiver versus a judger with me. And I'm just like, how do people even live and make, how do they pay their rent by living like that? And it's sort of like, Jennifer... Suspend your certainty, bring it down. And I have gone through that. It's it's incredibly helpful because it's not they're wrong and you're right. It's these are ways that people live in the world. And how might we now work more effectively with understanding that? And the language, somebody was talking about friction 
on an, a, a podcast or something that I was watching. I prefer it as a speed bump. It just slows people down for a minute. Then if you name it now, how do I want to respond to it? It just, just slows you down a minute so that you don't just run right into them with judgment. And I think that's helpful. Yeah. And, and judging people is, is so detrimental. It, it just ruins so much because you, when you judge someone, you assume that you know their reasons for doing something. And I mean, talk about having these conversations with my kids. We have it all the time. Well, he did that to hurt me. Well, you don't know that you're assuming that and you're judging him and that's what his intent was, but that's not necessarily the case. And so when you, when you do that, especially in the workplace. Just last night, we were talking with our kids about um, how you can have a circumstance and you can judge whether or not that circumstance was intended to treat you unfairly or whether it was intended to lift you up or, or whatever. And, and I've, and I really did some introspection myself and thought about times where I have felt wronged at work or in another social circle or whatever. When I stopped and thought about it and stopped judging the other person, then I was able to see how they had a perfectly valid reason for deciding what they did. Even if I thought that reason was absolutely crazy, I could still see how they could think more about that. And I, I think that goes back to that res- that piece about taking responsibility for what we do. And if I then do something to make a teacher or another principal or someone else upset, I need to own that myself and and be clear that if I was doing that intentionally to hurt them, that's on me and certainly not on them. And I need to go apologize for that. And that's its own skill. So that's a piece of the exercises in the taking responsibility where I I really love Harriet Lerner's work where she wrote, why won't you apologize? How do you apologize? And then you try to apologize and you still mess it up. I love little templates. I love little ways of trying to help myself. And that's what I did in hard conversations, but I just need sort of some scaffolds. That's one piece where if you mess it up, you clean it up. And how do you do it? That to me is a growing up skill, I think. Yeah, I, I think it absolutely is as well. So give us a framework for if you mess it up, then you clean it up. How, how can we do that? So you have to, so if it was Jethro, so it was a Jethro, I want to apologize. I did blank. Here's, um, here's why it was wrong. Here's um, my honest assessment of not wanting to do it again. And, and here's what I'm thinking of making uh, reparations by doing and then getting sort of permission. Is that what it is? So it's sort of like, when I called you an idiot, I am totally aware that that was totally, that violated everything. And I'm aware of the impact. And I, I am going to be really mindful of never doing that again. I just wanted you to be aware of that and then just give you the thing. But I've got people, if you if you decided that you were that sensitive, I guess I'm sorry, you know, it was not really that big of a deal. And there's lots of ways that we defend ourselves. I went to the Harvard Business School press because I loved an article by Peter Bregman on how we ignore, defend or rationalize negative feedback And he's got all of the stuff that we just sort of play in our minds. And it's like, if any of that 
is what happens, you're wrong. <laughs> to grow up is to not start then blaming the person again for being too sensitive for it. I'm not saying maybe everybody else is much better at it. I, I think in teams, in schools where we are so exhausted and, and tired and working in a team usually comes with a 45 minute time frame, and maybe it's in the after school time and people are hypoglycemic or they've got to get home. Things move quickly. And this idea that we have to focus on process and not the product is just such a what, you know, why do that? But if we don't, we really mess stuff up and then we blame and it's better to have all these tools. Yeah. And, and it's not just about having the tools, but I want to talk a little bit about your framework as you're going through that process of making things right. You're not commenting on what the other person did or how they may have felt you're owning that you did something wrong and whether or not they were offended, you need to still make it right. And those conversations are a lot easier when the other person isn't offended. And they're a lot harder when the person is offended and thinks you're just saying it because you want to like get better or whatever. Uh, and they don't really think that you're sincere. You want to apologize because your mom made you apologize, not because you actually feel bad about it. And those situations, those can be really transformative opportunities when you can be humble enough to say, I need to take responsibility for this. I've had it happen where I've apologized specifically to a student and students will never say that you did anything wrong because, you know, they're trying to just please you and do what's right and all that kind of stuff. And they're little and you're the adult and you're in charge and all that stuff. And I've apologized to students and told them uh, similar to what you suggested. And those kids were like, why are you, why are you doing this right now? Adults don't apologize to kids. (laughs) It's like, well, some do. And, and it matters because you're not judging them anymore. You're just saying for me personally, this is wrong. and I need to make it right. Yeah. I think that the humility and vulnerability piece of an apology or suspending certainty or owning that you don't know something or just sort of, whoa, I didn't even see what I didn't see. That humility of it, of just saying, I really don't know, I'm going to stumble a little bit is not what we are most of the time used to doing as teachers. Uh, A friend was just saying that the, the thing that gets in her way most often is the role of the expert the teacher of record, the the principal in charge. Whereas the law says we're all of this stuff. The IEPs say we're teacher of record. I mean, like everything says we are responsible and we have to go into parent-teacher conferences as the person who knows how to do this. And then all of a sudden, do you want me to switch on a dime and absolutely rip open my heart and expose? It's a very interesting dynamic to live there. And I'm just working on it. It's like you get, you're getting closer to a less varnished or less stuff is in between you and your heart. But boy, is that a tough place to live if you're not used to living there. And I'm working on it. Yeah. You know, I had a situation at a school where mistakes were made and they were made by me and However, many of them, I didn't realize that I was making them until it was too late. 
really a scary situation to be in because then you're blindsided and you don't have an answer. And so people wanted answers and I couldn't give them because it was something that was blind to me that I couldn't see. So what do we do in that situation where people want some accountability and I, I can't provide it because I, I didn't know this was a problem. I, when you were informed of not your intent, but your impact, which you were unaware of. So it wasn't malintent. It wasn't evil intent. It simply still did have an impact. I think the question is, how do you respond? Do you know what I'm saying? I think that's as good as to me. I don't know the the details in here, but I did not mean to do that. I sure as heck was not what I uh, meant to do. I can imagine that it was horrible. I, I apologize. You apologize for the impact. You don't have to apologize, I feel, for something you didn't mean to do. But you do have to apologize for how it, it went down and then make rectification. But then it's about the shame and the guilt of, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. And the answer is, how do you forgive yourself for not knowing and still take responsibility for the next step. That's tricky, tricky, tricky stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's an area where we, we all have situations where something like that happens. We make a mistake and we don't realize the impact that it's having. You listened mm-hmm. or you listed mal intent. Mm-hmm. And I think really what it came down to was that people thought that I was incompetent. Right. And, and I, I don't believe that I am. But certainly people, other people did believe that. And one of the things that I'm, that I've been thinking about a lot with this is how we judge people who are in the public spotlight, as in politicians or movie stars, or even our school principals or our teachers, because to a certain extent, they are in the public spotlight. And the reality is, is we just don't know everything that they're dealing with. We don't have all the information. I think about, um, both Obama and President Trump both said we were going to get our forces out of the Middle East, and neither one of them did it, right? And they both said before they were president, I can do this, and we're going to make this happen. And they both failed at it. And so does that mean that they are liars and horrible people? I, I don't think so. I think it just means that they got more information when they became the president that they didn't have when they were running for president. And so it it makes sense that they would get in there and say, oh, wait, so you're telling me if I do this and this, then these things are going to happen? Well, I can't keep that promise. And it's easy to say, you know, Trump's a liar or whatever, or, you know, say all these things. But the reality is, is they're dealing with different issues than we're aware of. And that happens all the way down to a school principal and a teacher. They're dealing with things that we're not aware of. And if we can take away that judgment of them, I think, one, we can be a lot happier. Um, And two, we can be grateful for the work that they are doing rather than just holding their faults or their missteps against them. I completely agree with that. I need to be so much less judgmental. That is the suspend certainty. That is take responsibility. That is know that you don't know everything, that there's stuff outside you. That's build up your ability to listen. I mean, there's a lot of things that could help me be less judgmental. 
there is, and I'm just, I'm thinking about this, there is a bottom line of what we absolutely do need for kids. It isn't per se, I guess it's a judgment and it's an evaluation. To me, there is a social contract that we have with, with our students. And if something educationally unsound or physically unsafe or emotionally damaging happen, I will make the judgment to say, I'm going to have a conversation with you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know if you had malintent. I don't know. And the impact right now is not okay. So I'm not like throwing judgment out the door. I'm being much more mindful of the complexity of situations. And I am going to be take responsibility for how I bring that statement up. So I'm always saying, can we be humane and growth producing? Bob Gurmston a decade or two ago, coached me in front of a group of people in a cognitive coaching session. And he said, why do you have to get rid of all your judgment? Because I thought that we had to just be much more like love and love and love and love and love and love. And he wasn't saying you don't have a bottom line. I mean, there is a bottom line. It was, how do you bring that? How do you have the presence and the core to say no? that's not okay. You can still have your your sense of what is right and you don't have to be judgy about how you say it. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, I, I think that's great. This has been a wonderful conversation. I think we could just go on and on, but thank you for so much for your time. The last question I'd like to ask is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? Slow down and say to somebody, when you're jumping to a conclusion, say more before you jump to that conclusion or tell me more to not immediately jump, but to stop speed bump and ask one more question. That's great. And I think if we all did that, we'd be much happier and much better off. That's a very simple, simple thing to do, but definitely not super easy. Not easy to do. I know. I know. I can't believe I'm saying it because there's no way that I did that uh, over the weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Once again, thank you. The book is Growing Up in the Workplace, Being on Your Learning Edge. Definitely check that out. And then you can also get more from Jennifer at jenniferabrams.com or on Twitter at jenniferabrams. And there are links to all this in in the show notes at uh, jethrojones.com slash podcast. And thanks again, Jennifer, for being part of Transformative Principle. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principal. 
Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy. And it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.